0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning into our Orange Bowl recap show. Man, what a game that was. Um, before we get into the podcast today, I wanted to tell you all about our podcast sponsor, SeatGeek. They're a ticket marketplace for buying and selling event tickets online. When you look for a game or concert, SeatGeek instantly searches dozens of sites online to bring you the best seats at the lowest prices. They have tickets for all types of events at nationwide venues, including Clemson basketball home games up at the Well in Greenville, and even the National Championship game in Glendale, Arizona. Um, And as a a listener of the podcast, they're offering you a $20 rebate on your first ticket purchase when you set up an account. Download their app or visit their website, set up your account, input promo code podcast in the settings tab, and make your first ticket purchase. Soon after that, SeatGeek will send you a $20 rebate. Be sure to head to SeatGeek for one-stop ticket shopping and the best deals. And don't forget that promo code podcast to get your $20 refund. Thanks a lot.
1: place the industry in Death Valley South Carolina baby guys going down guys stepping up that's what football is all about and they say we can't do it what they say now
0: welcome back to the Clemson podcast today is Sunday January 3rd it's 2016 Clemson didn't lose a game in 2015 we're playing for our first title in 35 years Four- and five-star recruits are signing up in droves, and life is great. Uh, We're happy to be back here on the podcast. This is our Orange Bowl recap show. We'll be touching on the Alabama National Championship game matchup for sure in this show. Um, We'll also cover some recruiting news, and since it's been a while, we'll catch up on Clemson hoops. But this one's really about savoring this victory over Oklahoma. Um, Later on in the week, we'll also do a, a dedicated preview show for the National Championship game. And look ahead, looking ahead to the off-season, um, we'll we'll probably move this, poc- this podcast to more of a bi-weekly affair um, where we touch on football recruiting and news that comes up and keep track of other action going on within the world of Clemson sports. Um, but for now, you know, make sure you're subscribed um, on your podcast platform of choice. And make sure you're following us on Twitter and, and on our Facebook page, because we post on both of those pretty frequently. Um, so fellas, before we get started here. Ben, what are we drinking today? Mimosas,
2: because they're orange.
0: Fair enough. Um, I think it's early enough on a Sunday. Beer was probably not too appetizing, especially coming off of a, a New Year's Eve. Um, I wouldn't call it a hangover effect, um, but yeah, mimosas. I, I would call it limits. a
1: hangover. I would say it was a two day hangover, but it was like it was the best hangover ever. Yeah, I don't know about you guys,
2: but New Year's Eve night was very rough for me, considering how early our game was. Um, I'm proud of myself
1: for making it through it, um, but couldn't be happier. I think the adrenaline from the game carried me through. I was thinking that if you live on the East Coast, that was probably the best way to start off, you know, ending at around 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, and you go into the night, you're feeling good, festive. However, on the West Coast, it ended around 4 o'clock, and that was tough. And
2: we celebrated for a little while before we dispersed, and then only had a few hours before we had to get to our New Year's Eve party. So, you know what? Who cares at the end of the day? Battle through it. All the pain and suffering that we went through on Friday was worth it for what happened the day before.
0: Let me ask you guys, maybe Cody, what, what are some of your initial takeaways? Or like, Maybe throw yourself five years in the future. Looking back on this game and this win, what are you going to remember?
1: I, think, I just remember it being so joyous during the second half. Um, us establishing ourselves. Um, I'll remember the Christian Wilkins catch. Uh, and in the kind of the after, uh, after the game celebration, but uh, honestly, unfortunately, I'm not saying this game will be diminished by the national championship game, but I, I think ultimately it'll we, we win the national championship, championship game and it's, it's great, or we lose it and now the Oklahoma game is forgotten.
2: Yeah, but I'm, I'm super confident in this team. They've given us every reason to be confident in them all year. Um, it's probably the only Clemson team I can remember in my lifetime that I felt so confident about in, in winning a football game, and I fully expect us to do it against Alabama. Listen, this game, I, I totally agree with you, Cody. It's hard to, to imagine what the next win is going to be like, um, but this one was just so special. I mean, about going into the fourth quarter, I was about the time when you knew the game was over, especially after that second interception, I was hugging Clemson fans I knew, Clemson fans I didn't know. Uh, random people who weren't Clemson fans that I didn't know. As long as they looked like they weren't going to punch me, I was giving everybody hugs. Um, that was such a beautiful moment. Um, and, and one, we've talked about this. Cherish these things. Um, this is not something, you know, we're not Alabama, at least not yet. We don't expect these things year in and year out. Maybe moving forward we do, but this is the first time. This is the beginning of it, so I'm going to cherish this one because it's going to mean more to me than I think anything else. Just this experience and going through it and going through it with all our Clemson Uh, friends and family out here on the West
1: Coast it's been an awesome awesome ride right so starting off looking at the game um, Oklahoma came out opening drive I don't know how many yards, I guess it was 75 yards and and looked pretty good got the help the benefit of that that 15-yard penalty which was complete you know bogus where it went out of bounds it was more than three yards out of bounds anyway I think that really helped them to sustain the drive but um, but other than that, I mean, they look really balanced coming in. They look fresh, and it, it was when it, I guess. Let me ask you guys. When we were down seven to nothing, or I mean, was it like a shot to the gut, or was it like, no. oh well, we can overcome this?
2: I, I always felt like we were in control. Like I have in every single game all year. Even in the few times we've been up behind all season, I felt like we had this game. But, but uh, even after that first drive, yeah, I wasn't you were too worried? worried because it was still the first drive of the game. They had the benefit of that penalty. And when did the sideline interf- interference call come? That wasn't on the first drive,
1: was it? Yeah, it was. It was. It, was it that and then the bad? Oh P- no, 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 not, not the sideline interference, but the the pass interference. The pass
2: interference, right? And then there was the sideline, whatever was, you call it.
1: That was later in
0: the
2: first half. Okay. Well, anyways, two bogus calls, but yeah, they had the benefit of that bad PI call that was three, five yards out of bounds. It was definitely uncatchable. So take that into consideration. Every team has their first one or two series scripted. Those things can happen. Hadn't seen us on offense yet, so no, I wasn't wasn't worried the least.
0: I think, too, we had deferred the kickoff. So the fact that they came down and scored on us in their first possession, we've seen that before. Like, Boston College had a lead on us to start the game. Um, I, I wanted to see before I started worrying a series from our offense. And um, we... We didn't score points, or maybe we got a field goal on our first our first drive, but um, ultimately we were moving the ball, we were spreading the ball around, we were um, indeed getting getting the running game going, and we converted on a third down through, through the air. So um, no, I don't I don't think early on I was I was too concerned at all. Even when they continued to, to get a lead um, in in the first quor- or in the second quarter when they regain the lead. Um, on us, You know, that wasn't anything I was too worried about. We
2: squandered, we squandered things in the red zone. I think there was some bad red zone play calling early on in the game where we could have pulled away really early. And I felt like it was shocking in halftime for them to have the lead because I felt like we played so much better than them all across the board.
0: And that's really where, in some of the post-game articles I read, where it was, when that happens, your game can go one of two ways. Either those, those missed opportunities will come back to bite the, the team that, that left them on the table if the other team can figure out how to kind of level the playing field in the second half. Or the world can write itself and the team that was missing its opportunities would actually cash in on those and keep dominating in the trenches. And that's actually what we saw. Um, that third quarter was probably our best quarter all season in terms of production on both sides of the ball. We um, blinked them in the second half.
2: They put up a goose egg in the second half. This, this high scoring offense, the one that was the hottest offense coming into the playoffs, they put up zero in the second half. Yeah, it
1: was it was in the trenches, and I think if you look at the, the first half, and the, or the first play of the game on uh, you know on defense where we got got back sacked uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, I mean that was we were just yelling and screaming, and that was more of a um, kind of a peek into what what was to come. And then after that, obviously they marched down methodically down the field and scored the touchdown. But I guess that one play alone let me know that hey, if we can get that level of penetration with just four then we can be successful. And it took really till like, the second quarter, third half before we were getting constant penetration into the backfield. But it, it came. And there was one point in the game where, and this was on offense, where Dabo yells, in the trenches, in, in the trenches. They did a close-up on him. And that's that's exactly what it came down to. We beat him up in the trenches. The
2: turning point in this program is when Dabo focused on winning the games in the trenches as opposed to just bringing in these high-profile um, athletes Um On offense, right? Because yeah, we we could put up big numbers and score big with our wide receivers and quarterback position and running backs um, early on, but we weren't winning a lot of the games back in the 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 late uh, you know two thousands around two thousand ten, you know, the beginning of Dabo's tenure. Um, And so we did bring this focus on winning the game, the trenches on both sides of the ball, and you're seeing that start to pay off right now because we can go toe to toe with anybody. We've seen that in LSU and Georgia and Auburn and Ohio State and these teams we have beaten in big games. We beat them
1: in the trenches, and that gives me all the faith in the world going into the Alabama game. Well, it's kind of a, n- a nice contrast there between Oklahoma, who I think is a bit weak in the trenches, even defensively. Th- there was all this talk of how good they were. Charles Tapper, Charles Walker, you know, he got he was injured, didn't play, but I don't think th- they didn't match up with us, and it wasn't even close. Now we go into the not not just a team that's really good in the trenches, but maybe historically good in Alabama. So. Very interesting change of pace. I think we can compete with them, but I mean, that's still something to keep an eye out.
2: Listen, you, you saw this team in what was it, the, the Peach Bowl, Chick fil A Bowl against LSU, where we thought that team was, LSU team was going to bring it to us and be real physical. When you saw a Clemson team that maybe uh, outplayed their expectations for sure and how physical they were, it's a mindset in this program. Now we have even better athletes. So, again, I think we can line up toe-to-toe with Alabama. Alabama is hanging on uh, to this kind of antiquated style of winning. And, yes, they're still successful in the SEC, but they're focused on defense. Well, what Clemson is bringing to the table now is a balance on both offense and defense. We have a really strong defense. For two years in a row, we had the number one and number seven defense in the country and one of the top offenses in the country. So we're doing it on both sides of the ball, and that's not something Alabama can say they're doing.
0: I think what – we're seeing this season is Clemson continue. I think this is our 10th game in a row, putting up over 500 yards offense. Um, you know, that happens behind effective um, offensive line play and the ability to, be, to win in multiple ways. Um, Clemson in this game put up 312 rushing yards, which I don't think anyone expected, even, not, even the biggest Clemson homers. Um, we're expecting that type of output from the, the rushing game. Um, and that goes to show the job that Robbie Caldwell has done um, as an offensive line coach for us. Clemson, in, when you talk about total yardage in this game, 530 overall, pretty pretty heavy, heavily leaning toward the, the running game. Um, I don't think Deshaun Watson had his best game as a passer this this time, but... Didn't put, need to. Didn't need to, and you can put some of that on um, mistakes he made, certainly, but there were some drop passes from wide receivers. And if we want to, you know, we're here to talk out this Orange Bowl win, not, not uh, dwell on the negatives, but we're going to have to clean some of that up against a team that's not going to give you many, many, you know, looks like Alabama will.
2: Absolutely, we will. Um, but this has been uh, kind of the theme of this Clemson team over and over again this season is that, yes, we have these mistakes. We've have had mistakes and turnovers, bad special teams play, but we are so talented that we're able to over- overcome those things. Now, obviously, the further you get into the season and the further we get, in, you know, after the first game of the playoffs, now a national championship game, you're playing theoretically the second-best team in the country. So you don't have that margin of error in making these errors, but this still don't get anything wrong. This is still a very, very talented team where one or two mistakes aren't going to sink the ship. Uh,
0: you, you mentioned the turnover battle. Clemson won that 2-1, to one, um, only allowed OU to put up 378 yards, which I'd have to go back and look, but that must be in their bottom half of, of output as an offense this season. Um, we all talked about Clemson being the hardest defense they would face all year, and I think that proved to be true this game. Uh, what's really remarkable about that, though, is that we did this with Shaq Lawson going down. He played the first play of the game. He was, uh, I think, he did get that sack, Cody, on the very first play from scrimmage. He sat the rest of that series, uh, came back into the game um, later on, and ultimately had a kind of a coverage sack against Baker Mayfield, got him down at about the two yard line, and I think that's where he. Um, injured his, his MCL and that held him out for the rest of the game the fact that Austin Bryant was able to come in and do what he did um, Ben I think you, you have the stats pulled up here you know that, that speaks to the depth and the coaching of this team and developing um, their their players and continuing to be able to replace these guys when they go down um, also talent of, of recruiting and it's the depth that we worried about
2: coming into the season, especially along the defensive line. Now, fortunately, on the offensive line, we've been able to stay healthy for the most part. The defensive line, the young guys, Christian Wilkins, Austin Bryant, have really stepped up. And, you know, Austin Bryant, listen, his stats weren't fantastic this game. I think he had four tackles and credited with half a sack but he didn't make big mistakes. He was solid, and he let Kevin Dodd. I mean, Kevin Dodd took over. That was the big thing. Austin Bryant did what he had to do, and then Kevin Dodd was the guy who had a huge impact as a defensive end.
0: And we said that going into the game, too, that the the strong side, like Baker Mayfield's right side, was, was where he was going to look when things broke down in the pocket. Um, and Dodd did an incredible job not even setting the edge, but collapsing that side of the pocket throughout the game. So he definitely gets one of my my defensive game there was
2: constant pressure and we've talked about all this uh, this all year long especially the defense started to get tired at some point during the seasons we didn't think we were getting enough pressure out of our front four well boy they brought it this game they disrupted baker mayfield's time and listen mayfield's gonna be mayfield but he didn't his scrambling wasn't there this game he had negative 15 yards rushing like we limited that that was not a factor
1: yeah well and i will i will say i think baker mayfield was fantastic i think he did a great job given the amount of pressure and stress we were putting on him we were collapsing the pocket almost every single play particularly in the second half so he did scramble didn't get a lot of positive yard yardage <clears throat> a few plays he did extend but he did a great job of locking out on his, on his receivers ultimately though I think what that disruption did it took away from their run game you know what they what they so strongly believe was going to be the x-factor getting Samaje Piran, Joe Mixon to really establish the run game they're not gonna be able to stop us they couldn't do that I think 67 yards on the game yeah, it was Mixon unbelievable.
2: Mixon only had know four yards or something like that. He was you know non-existent. Pirine had uh fifty-eight yards. Uh, we held him under four yards of carry, um, and that's huge. And the beautiful thing was, we were physical with these guys. Like our linebackers, uh, Bullware and Goodson did a damn good job of just hitting them and knocking them down. Like they weren't bowling us over. I think Pirine had one gain of like eighteen yards or something like that. Other than that, they weren't making big plays on us from the running game, and. I'm sorry, make no mistake, I agree, Baker Mayfield, you know, good for him, I love his story, kind of, I guess, but I got kind of tired of hearing about him. He's no Deshaun Watson, and anybody that had him in the same breath as
1: Deshaun Watson as Heisman, I'm sorry, is sorely mistaken. They're not, they're not seeing the same guy. Right, I, I think, you know, two different—Deshaun Watson showed his adaptability and having to move away from the pass and, and really rely on the run— where, and I'll, I'll I'll give it to Baker Mayfield. I think he, he showed that he was Heisman-worthy this year and probably, uh, you know. He's got a, guts. A top candidate for next year. Yeah, because, I mean, constantly um, escaping the pocket, having to go after, uh, ha- having to look downfield. I mean, we did a number to him, and he did such a great job hitting Sterling Shepard. Uh, I think D.D. Westbrook on, on some of those kind of broken plays. So I- I'll give Found it to him. a tight
0: end, too, And when, when things broke down. And, yeah, he had good vision down the field. Um, just not enough. He didn't make enough plays, though, to put well, up points and figure out this offense. Not to mention
2: defense. five interceptions coming into the year, or into this game. He had two in this game. Again, shout-out to our linebackers with Bullware and Goodson with those interceptions. Big turning points in this game on defense.
1: Right, and I, I think what was so weird, or kind of, I don't know, it was just odd about those interceptions was May, Mayfield was just constantly scrambling in the second half, making, making plays downfield, and then, you know, so accurate. And then all of a sudden, like, two balls just... Right to the wider, right to the linebackers, where they, you, know, you yeah. know, more or less, just right into their hands. But what was, what was, I guess, odd about it was, um, was that he was so accurate before. I guess just constant pressure—that's what it does to you. Exactly, and and when we start to take away their run game, and
2: you're having to throw it over and over again, I mean, that's, you know, that's going to happen. Law of averages, right? Eventually, he's going to start throwing interceptions. I felt, I think we both felt better. Tully, you called a bull wear interception right before it happened. Like The more he was having to throw the ball in that game, they couldn't run the ball, it was inevitable. It was going to happen. We are going to figure out that offense and what they were trying to do. And again, two key turning points
1: in this game. So let's talk about it. one of the, probably the biggest turning point, maybe. I, don't, I think maybe a, the turning point was bound to happen the way we were wearing them down. But in the second half... Or I'm sorry, the second quarter of that play to Christian Wilkins, which it was it was seven to three at the time. You know, we we couldn't have a sustained drive. Uh, I think we were, at, we we're around like their forty, and you know that was what a gutsy, what a gutsy call by Dabo Sweeney. I, I'll say even at the time, I, I think it was almost just a, a bad call, but it worked out. So well,
2: well yeah, it, it's a bad call if it doesn't work, right? But <laughs> think think about the mental aspect. I mean, there's so many different. Uh, layers of the decision to do this. One, we were in a pretty good position on the field. Two, to to, to have Teasdall redeem himself. I mean, if you don't think that's not a part of it, because like, he totally redeemed himself on that one. Three, having Christian Wilkins catch that ball and tiptoe down the sideline, nobody's expecting him to do that. But the biggest thing was, you look into this play, I'm almost certain Teasdall had the option in that rugby-style punt, he can make the decision. If Wilkins is not wide open, you kick the ball. So I, I, you have
1: an out. still, I, mean, I think he showed about his decision-making. If there's an, even an <laughs> ounce of like a chance of it happening, he's going to take it. Yeah. Yeah,
2: he had a month to correct that. You know what? He's 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 50%. He's batting 500, okay? And this time, it really worked out. He hasn't hurt us yet. Could, Has could a yeah, lot think, of assists to
1: give
0: you. I think the reason that I believe this was not the wrong call, ultimately, was it showed the amount of faith Dabo had in the defense at that point to it was it was around the forty yard line. Oklahoma's own forty. We turn the ball over there. We do give our defense a short field, but we're we're used to working with that all year. Um, we've turned the ball over more often than we would we would like on offense, and this defense has responded to that and, and done okay. Um, I feel like we could have we could have weathered um, not getting that play, but the emotional lift that that brought on the sideline and throughout the whole team, you know, boosting teased all up, getting War Daddy that ball, et cetera, you know i think it was it was a calculated risk and you know super glad it paid off cuz i think that that ultimately pushed the momentum way in our favor so that was
2: part of it though but at the same time like they still took the lead at the half for me the biggest turning point in the game was in the third quarter that turnover on downs that we had turned them over on downs, the defense made a huge stop, and then we came back and scored a touchdown to go up 30-17. to I think at that point you started to see it happen. Now, I am a little disappointed that we immediately had the interception. I think that was Goodson's interception after that, and we weren't able to capitalize and go down and score again. But ultimately, that turnover downs, that sequence of turnover on downs, and then the touchdown was absolutely huge.
0: Yeah, you mentioned after that Goodson interception, we missed the field goal there. That was at Greg Hugel's kind of career long. We didn't need to have those three points. Would have been nice.
1: I was a little bit, you know, concerned at that point, but didn't ultimately bite us. There's so many points in the game where they could have kind of shifted the tide a little bit. That was one of them. That fourth and one. If they if they go there or if they, if they um, convert that, they have a chance to score. And yeah, that was I think in, in the bar we were we roared so loud, I, probably the loudest of the, in the entire game because I think once we had that, uh, once we stopped them there, we knew that they were done. And we, especially after we went down and scored, went up 30-17. I mean, we kind of didn't
2: want to let ourselves believe that it was over yet because there was still a lot of, you know, a lot of time left. We're only up by you know, two scores, up by 13 points. And we've seen this Clemson team kind of not be able to finish off games uh, this season and let teams come back, Louisville, Notre Dame, to name a few. But how beautiful was this game? We then went up 37-17 to 17 and held on for the rest of the game. We closed this game out. And that's what national champions do.
0: Well, and how much of that, not to disagree at all, but how much of that do you feel like was based on their running backs going down with injury, um, them being but entirely unidimensional about it. I agree. I,
1: th- I think that was part of it. And then Baker Mayfield going down in the middle of the you know fourth quarter. I think they were pretty much done by then. But earlier in the game, and I think Quack and Tiger kind of alluded to this in his post game article. Was that. You know, they, yeah, they did get injured during the game, but a lot of that was because we were hitting them so We'd hard. We beat them up. We kind of wore them down. We were physical. We were more physical yeah, than they were. These
0: were fluke injuries. These were hard hitting. I mean, you know, hope these guys recover okay. But Samadji P. Ryan's ankle probably doesn't feel good right now. Um, and Mixon went out with a concussion, I believe, and I, I think Mayfield did too. So, um, yeah, you know, you never want to hit with the intent of knocking these guys out of games, but well, but that speaks repetitive- to repetitive. And, stress, right? and in the
1: Big 12, those guys and, you know, kind of the softer, the, you know, the defenses that are designed to, uh, to stop the spread offense, they can't take the beating that P Ryan and Mixon can throw at you. So they end up wearing down their opponents. The exact opposite happened in this game, uh, quite literally, because they, like you said, they both were injured. But a, a lot of that had to do with the fact that we're hitting them in the backfield, hitting them hard. How does that make you feel? about playing Derrick Henry in Alabama. Makes me feel fantastic to it, see us be that physical. It's a good question, but it's a completely different offensive line and and they can really establish a running game. I think that was they were a, the best offensive line in the country, no surprise. Well, Michigan State held Henry to less than 100 yards rushing. I know it was a huge blowout, but still. I, yeah, I look at that too and I think they, yeah, they were committed limited. to stopping the run, but they they couldn't do anything to stop him over the top.
2: Well, but we can, and that, I think that's the difference in our defense versus Michigan State. And so what we're going to see And also, and, and one thing that I thought was a key coming in into this game against Oklahoma, and which will also be a key playing Alabama, was how much our offense was able to help out our defense. We controlled the time of possession. We had 10 more minutes of possession on offense than Oklahoma did. That's keeping our defense off the field, keeping them rested. We only had one turnover, and really, for the most part, that was inconsequential because that was at the end of the first half, so it didn't put our defense in a bad situation. And they sustained drives. Uh, Teestall did better punting and and flipping the field. He was over right around 40-yard average a punt. So all these things combined, we're not as deep as we were on defense last year, but we're extremely talented. And if our offense can help us out by scoring points, moving the ball, sustaining drives, and flipping
1: field position when needed, that's all our defense needs to be great. I, well, I think this game showed too that w- uh, three weeks of preparation and I think some very, very much needed rest. I think that you saw a level of energy. You know, I, I, th- I think the guys were, uh, for one, uh, injured. Uh, they needed some some recovery time, but also just the magnitude of the game, the trash talking. They were going to come up a little bit fired up. I expect the same in the national championship. But giving our coaches three weeks, giving the, the team some rest, I think uh, we saw a, a new team, or a, a rejuvenated team. Uh, I kind of looked at the national championship game, and I wonder, you don't have a letdown emotionally, but I wonder if they can get back up to that same level after, I think, maybe reaching the pinnacle against Oklahoma. What do you guys think?
2: I think it keeps going. We're starting to hear trash talk again from Alabama. I mean, how about that trash talking from Oklahoma? Do you think at this point that you're going to intimidate Clemson? Because the Clemson Tiger football team has shown that you can't. Go ask the, the coaches of the last three teams who have tried to trash talk against us um, in Syracuse, uh, Miami and South Carolina, and how how's that gone for them? I mean, well, two of those coaches don't have jobs. One's uh,
1: well, three of them don't. One's making uh, shirtless cameos and TV <laughs> commercials right now. Well, Ben, you're you're kind of our resident uh, Homer, sunshine pumper. What about you, Tully? Do you think we can get back up for this game?
0: Yeah, I do. I mean, it's it's the national championship game. If you can't, what's going on? Do you have a pulse? Like, I I, I definitely think so. My concern would be the amount of time for preparation. But the good part is. You know, the, the mad scientist Nick Saban also doesn't – he now only has 10 days to prepare for Clemson um, versus the three-plus weeks he had for Michigan State. So, yeah, I'm not worried about our team's motivation levels um, in terms of, you know, you're asking more about rest and preparedness, that kind of thing. In that case, you know, yeah, this Oklahoma game probably took some out of our defense, but we weren't huffing and puffing down the, down the stretch. You know, Ben talked about time of possession. They were on the field 25 minutes. Um, the fourth quarter definitely we're still playing hard, but I don't think this was too big of a grinded out game for the defense either.
2: No, I mean they were kept off the field. I mean for a lot of the game, and when they were on the field, they showed us that they were well rested. Um, and so it's not only like the three weeks or whatever we had off, but we also have longer than a normal uh, week between games here. So there's a little bit more rest built into it, which I think will be hugely beneficial. Um,
0: one so- one area I wanted to ask you guys are concerned. Um, Oklahoma did manage to put up over 300 yards passing in this game um, on our secondary. You know, I haven't, I haven't looked at how much of that was were deep balls versus just, you know, grinding out drives over the middle. I think it was a good combination of both, and that's what Oklahoma does. Are we worried about 300 yards to Oklahoma in this game? Or do you think that's the function of the scoreboard?
1: I think they had to I make? think it's a function of Baker Mayfield. I mean, I, I've rewatched the second half like twice, and the guy was incredible. I mean, yeah, we, we were able to ultimately stop him in the end. I don't think Jay Coker from Alabama can can you know kind of replicate that type of effort. He just doesn't have the talent. Well, the pundits think he can though. They're they're talking him up after that, that mission. He he did, in and, defense. and I think they're kind of an all or nothing. They use the they ground and pound with uh, with Derrick Henry, and then it's kind of just make you stop them on the run. And then they they you know stretch it downfield with Calvin uh, Calvin Ridley, which we have we have better cornerbacks. Granted, they have good cornerbacks as well. But we have a better, I guess, overall secondary than Michigan State and can and can stop them. Um, that's what gives me hope there. But ultimately, if, they, if we can't stop the run, then we're in trouble. But, uh, I mean, are you not confident that we can't stop the run? I mean, Derrick Henry
2: has been limited in certain games this year, and Michigan State just did that to them. We just stopped Pirine and Mixon again. We stopped Pirine again for a second year. Yeah, he had over 100 yards rushing last year, but most of that came late in the game. Our, our, our defense is standing up to this. I, I know it comes
1: down to the offensive line play. I know Alabama's offensive line is going to be a bigger challenge. Well, think about it like, like P. Ryan and, and Derrick Henry are interchangeable. It's, it's, all, it's completely the, the offensive line. I think put P. Ryan on, on Alabama, he probably wins the Heisman Trophy. That's how interchangeable those two guys can be. So you're not, you're not talking about stopping Henry. You're, you're just stopping the offensive line.
2: I'd be much more worried if Alabama had Christian McCaffrey back there than I am about Derrick Henry. I agree.
1: I, same for Dalvin Cook.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't see... I mean, Derrick Henry does get better as games go on, and I don't want to downplay his speed and athleticism, but those other guys are freakish athletes.
2: And, and the part of the reason he does get better as games goes on because Alabama's defense is so good, they keep other offenses off the field... So they put opposing defenses on the field more, and they get worn down. The same way that we got worn down against Georgia last year. We had the number one defense in the cus- country, and Georgia ended up running all over us and Gurley at the end of the game because our offense couldn't do anything. They couldn't move the ball, and the defense was constantly on the field. Again, that was our number one defense from last year. So that's part of what Alabama's going to do. The thing is, this year we have a much, much better offense. Again, it's all about having the offense help the defense. Go out there, sustain drives, keep those guys, you know avoid the three and outs, keep them rested, the two things combined,
1: It's what makes us a great team, and it's easier, a little easier said than done. I think a lot of the game will once again fall into Sean Watson's shoulders, because he's. It's not just him as a passer and his accuracy that we rely on so much. It's it's him to add an added layer, of, uh, of, uh, an added dimension, if you will, uh, with his ability to run. Can he establish that? Because if we're just giving handoffs to Gallman and thinking we're going to establish a run game, it's not going to happen. Uh, Alabama's. Defensive uh, front seven is historically good. They'll they'll stop him just the way that they, they stop Michigan State. However, if Deshaun Watson can dissect their defense, get into a zone read, make some plays, that opens up an, an entirely different dimension for for Clemson. You saw it with Ole Miss, the way that Chad Kelly was able to, to wear them down. Uh, I think over the last what few years, guys like Johnny Manziel have get, has given their defense trouble. New defense, maybe even better defense than those uh, than past years, but same concepts. So is this a situation? Uh, you know, we've seen.
2: Uh Elliott and Scott, you know, been, have been committed to the run game this year, and even if it's not working early on, they'll, they'll stick to it, something Chad Morris would, had not historically done, and it eventually became successful um, over the course of a game and as we started to wear them down. However, in the Boston College game, they seem to go into that with a game plan of, listen, we're facing a really good defense in Boston College, we don't think we'll be as successful uh, in the running game, so we're going to commit to passing this game. Do you think uh, going into the Alabama game that's going to be something similar
1: that we see? you got to make them respect the pass. you got to spread them out. And if you can't do that, I mean, nothing else can be established. The general way of thinking is establish the run first. I don't know if that's possible. I, th- I really think Alabama's front seven is that good. So you got to let them know that we're going to spread you out. We're going we're to open it up with Deshaun's arm and then, and then establish the run. But do we have to, does Deshaun have to be successful running for the offense to, to move the ball down the field? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's on reads uh, some play action on the passes. But do we or see things that
0: break down being able to scramble? Still, game right. cards and move the chains. But
1: we do we see establishing the running
2: game meaning something different when we're talking about Wayne Gallman versus um, Deshaun Watson? Is establishing the running game meaning, meaning means that Gallman gets going too or is that something completely separate from what Deshaun Watson being able to scramble?
0: I think what you, maybe what you mean, Cody, is if they have to respect either the hand it off to Wayne Gallman so you can get play action going or a zone read where Deshaun can choose to run or pull it down and pass it, um, you know, either way, I think what you're trying to do is keep their safeties coming up toward the line, so that you can get those one on one or even mismatches downfield, um, just to get you know the Hunter Renfro's, Jermon Hopper's, and Sharon Peaks going.
1: Right, right, and and Wayne Gallman and Deshaun Watson are mutually exclusive. Like that is the run game, and the offense, it's all about having balance. And you're right, pulling the pulling the safeties up, making them, uh, making them bring extra guys to for help, gives you those one on one matches, uh, you know, over the top, uh, down deep. So it's, it's, it's so it's such a game of balance, and Deshaun Watson, the beauty of our, of our offense, is the way that he opens up an added dimension, particularly with like the zone read and the, his ability to
2: run. And I think this is going to be a situation in the Alabama game where we're going to miss Deion King a lot more than we did in this game against Oklahoma because our, our wide receivers weren't great, I would say, in the Oklahoma game. They were solid. I mean, Peak made good catches. Scott was solid again, burned Oklahoma like he did last year. Hunter Renfro with that great touchdown. That, that catch and run to the end zone. He had a huge
0: first down catch, too. Yeah. That kept that drop going. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would argue we did miss Deion Kane, actually. I mean, I think that having to rely on those guys, I mean, Hunter Renfro, thank goodness for him, but that, those would be balls that otherwise I think would have gone to Deion Kane potentially.
2: Jordan Leggett didn't have as much of an impact in this game. I thought he would get more targets. I know he had that one drop that on that sliding catch that would have been a first down, that was huge, but I think otherwise he only had one catch in the game.
0: He also uh, was involved on that interception in the end zone at the end of the second quarter. Yeah, uh, true. That, you know, going back to, like, the Sharon Peak play in the Notre Dame game, could he have made a play on the ball to knock that down, and we could have gotten three points there.
2: I still kind of put that on Deshaun Watson. I think that right. was a poor decision. So let, let's put so it like higher, let, pass. Let, yeah.
0: let it go up and get it. But anyway, you know, I do think we did miss Deion Kane in this one, and we probably will feel his absence a bit against Alabama uh, we didn't see much of Jermon Hopper in this game, but I think that's that's based on the role that Hunter Renfro played and the fact that he was yeah. effective early on catching passes.
2: The bigger surprise to me is that we didn't see more of Ray-Ray McLeod now that he's healthy. He only got a couple of touches in this game, too. I don't know if uh, this is due in part to the coaches maybe not being completely comfortable with him and trusting him not to, uh, to have Ray a turnover. I mean, they, really Turning the ball over mainly is, is my concern because we
1: didn't see him back there on a... Uh, returning kickoffs either. I think it was Fuller and Artavis Scott. Right. Well, they did have a few plays to to him. One being like that tricker uh, that trick play, kind of right after the the trick play from to to Wilkins. So I think there is a, somewhat of a, a commitment to go into Ray Ray, and I think against Alabama it would, it'll be the same. But it's like you said, it's going to be on the outside. Um, he had a chance to make a guy miss, and if he makes a guy miss, he he probably goes for for 10 or, or, tw- or 15 yards, but you got to make that first guy miss. Keep and unfortunately, it. he was un- unable to do and that. And if
2: we're just running and grinding the ball and we don't need it, keep it in your back pocket for that one last game, right? Yeah, I, d- I think
1: you saw them going away from almost all the wide receivers in the second half. It, was, it looked like uh, Auburn's offense when they had Nick Marshall and Trey Mason uh, a few years ago. They, were, they, didn't, you know, they didn't really have much of a pass attack. They are like, we're just going to beat you on the ground. They had a good offensive line and, and two very capable runners. Gra- That's what we did in the second half.
2: Ground and pound baby, how nice is it to see Clemson with such a dominating rushing game, a dominating defense, and still has the best quarterback in the country too. I mean all those things combined, we're a hard-nosed football team that is very athletic and can score.
0: Let me ask you guys, did you think that our play calling was was sharp in this game? Or what, what might you have changed? maybe throughout the tenor of
2: the game. We got a little cute for me. Again, I mentioned um, some curious red zone calls. Uh, I think when we're doing a certain thing well to move the ball down the field, um, that maybe we need to move away from some of these trick plays. Just, just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, yeah, totally behind the fake punt, but other than that, uh, the red zone calling was questionable for me. But other than that, the way they stuck to the run game and, and, and really you know pushed that all game long... I thought that was great. I think I, I think Scott and Elliot, for the most part, have done a great job all year long.
1: Yeah, you're right. The first half they were they were cute. I think what it, sh- it showed was, hey, we had a game plan coming in, kind of like Chad Morris used to have a game plan coming in, but you got to be able to adjust, make those halftime adjustments, and they did just that. They, and they completely did a 180 from thinking, hey, we're gonna have to be dynamic and we're gonna have to have all these cute plays and, and you know this trickeration. You know, granted it it worked again with the Christian Wilkins, but that was a Davo Sweeney call. They went completely away from that and said, "Hey, you—we real—I mean, you can't stop our own game. You can't stop Deshaun Watson and Wayne Gallman in our offensive front. So they just beat them to death with it. So it was, a, you know, moved almost completely away from the pass game, only as, as kind of as needed. And uh, I think that just shows a level of like, what's whatever the uh, the word is for lack of stubbornness, which we saw a little bit during Chad Morris era. And it's like, hey, we're going to humility." Gonna be- Humility, great. <laughs> I was going to say flexibility, but humility. Flexibility, adaptability, whatever the case, that shows a great promise. And, you know, ultimately our, our team can beat you in a number of ways. you got to be able to respond. So let me throw you a curveball, a little
2: off-subject uh, topic here. But given what we saw out of Scott and Elliot in the bowl game last year and what, how we've uh, been able to see them evolve and adapt throughout games this year, do you think they could have done a lot better with Cole Stout last year and this football team than Chad Morris ultimately did?
0: I think Cole Stout, um, that's a tough one, probably yes. We saw what they did
2: in the Russell Athletic Bowl, right? Against Oklahoma, 40-6. That
0: was with a healthy Cole Stout, though. True. Um,
2: and I think that was, that, was not, uh, that was underplayed kind of all season was the right. fact that Cole Stout was not healthy for most of the time.
0: My concern now is if I'm a Big 12 um, team, I, I'd, I'd think about these guys as a head coach, potentially, showing what they've done against Oklahoma a couple years in a row. I say that mostly in jest, but I feel like they've they've shown what Chad Morris did not, which is an ability to adapt in game. Um, he changed the culture of the offense at Clemson, and we w- will be forever indebted to him for that. He also brought us to Sean Watson. So, um,
2: <laughs> Thank you, Coach Morris. Indeed.
0: Um, but I, yeah, I can't say enough good things about what these two have done this season, and I wonder if you're gonna start seeing teams go more to the two-headed monster offensive coordinator, having um, the coach like Coach Elliott up in the press or up in the coaching box, and then having Coach Scott down in the field. Um, I'd love to read more, learn more about their dynamic in game and what they do. I'm sure a lot of that secret sauce we'll never hear about, but yeah, it's it's working. That's for sure. Maybe to wrap up talking about this Oklahoma game, I think another area that I thought was exceeded my expectations was actually our kicking game and our, our punting game, um, both with what Andy Tuzal was able to do from a yardage standpoint, but on kickoffs, um, we had Greg Hugel come Greg in. Greg the leg. Greg Hugel, Ammon Lakeup, we all know, was suspended second time. He's effectively dismissed from the team. Um, we were worried. We were like, that, that might even be, Ben and I were texting about this, that might even be a bigger miss in this game than Dion Kane. Um, and it turned out not to be that big a deal. Um, Hugel did not miss a PAT. And he was able to get quite a good amount of distance on his kickoffs. He added
2: 10 to 15 yards to
1: his kickoffs. That was amazing. It looks like they were starting Lake up just as like a, hey, you're a senior, you know, we'll, we'll give you this duty, but it looks like it probably should have been Hugel all year long. Well, no, I don't know
2: that I agree with that because Hugel was having a, a trouble. He, he had some high kickoffs, but they were falling like the five or 10 yard line. When that first ball, when we kicked off, like that was the thing with the coin toss. Like, I thought when we won that that there's no way we should have de- to defer to the second half because I thought we should have taken the ball and tried to go down the field because I didn't have confidence in our kicking game. I
1: didn't think Hugo could kick it that way. He kicked it out, damn near the back of the end zone. Yeah, I, I think it, it, you know less so the kicking, but more so we knew what we could do to them on defense. I think that that really said a lot. Which but if is you start off
2: with with how Hugo had kicked off previously, kicking it short of the goal line, and how bad our kick coverage had been all year long. There's another storyline.
1: Our kick coverage was great in this game. Absolutely. Um, Well, Dabo actually worked with the special teams uh, over the last few weeks. Yeah, you should do that more often.
0: And here's a name we haven't said the entire podcast, Sterling Shepard. He... Didn't really hurt us too much on offense, and he also didn't hurt us in the kicking game.
1: Well, he was good though; like he was very good. We we got interceptions there late in the second half, but they had some some sta- some sustained drives because of Sterling Shepard and D.D. Westbrook, and obviously Baker Mayfield in that connection. He didn't hurt us. I don't have his numbers, but I have to think he had five or six receptions. A lot better than last year. Granted, Mac Alexander wasn't shadowing him like last year.
0: Indeed. Um, so anyway, you know, kudos to the special teams coaches and to the the entire team there for turning things around and turning that, instead of a liability like it's been all year, to something that I would call kind of a neutral effect on this game for us.
2: You've got to be, you you got to tighten everything up, right? If you're going to be elite, if you're going to beat these best teams, uh, we won the turnover battle and we were solid in special teams. And those are two big parts uh, to this game because that is, no matter how much talent you have, if you have errors in any of those, you know, two, if you lose a turnover battle, if you had bad special teams play, that can go a long way to change the momentum of a game. You give a, a lesser opponent confidence. That confidence can can beat out your talent any day of the week.
1: Right. I think you you mentioned it during the preview is we don't want to see this game come down to turnovers. Granted, make uh, Baker Mayfield, you know, threw some picks in the second half, but most of those were just a, a result of the fact that we were getting pressure on him. It wasn't like just out of the blue, um, they were bound to happen with the level of, of pressure we were getting on him. But the game, it came down to it. we were better than them on, on both sides of the ball, and that, and that feels good. I hope the same holds true for Alabama. And it's not like that ball was thrown into Ben Boulware's gut. Like, he went up and got that ball.
0: Absolutely. Um, well, guys, let's, let's close out with our finishing thoughts on this game. I, I mean, I think for me, I want to go back and talk about Oklahoma's swagger. Like, they came into this game with an incredible amount of momentum, a ton of national support for them. Their fan base was, I would almost say dismissive of Clemson's chances here. And um, I, I personally view swagger as the opposite of humility in their case. And that can actually work against you. It can, it can definitely help pump you up and get you up to the level of, of winning a game. But um, I think for Oklahoma, once they got, once they figured out that there was some adversity there, they actually weren't able to kind of get off the mat um, too much. So for me, that that worked in our favor. Clemson largely comes into the game just with a quiet confidence, um, and that played out for us.
2: It's all talk. Like Ben Bulwer said, it it comes down to your play on the field. Trash talk is trash talk. Everybody can do it. I mean, backing up is a a different thing, and this Clemson team backed it up.
0: Well, and one other thing that we found out to be untrue was Shaq Lawson getting on the OU bus. Apparently that whole story was fabricated.
2: It didn't sound like Shaq, and well, it didn't sound like a Clemson player, and I would... It would have been hard for me to believe that Dabo wouldn't have handed out some type of discipline for that.
1: Yeah, I think it was like a luncheon, like some some words were exchanged. But he said he wasn't stupid enough to get on an Oklahoma bus, and that's good. Um, Yeah, I I think uh, you know away from the trash talk, I think you're exactly right about the kind of how they were like a firecracker. They came out hot, but the first sign of adversity, they couldn't. You know, they they just completely looked like a different team in the second half, and much of that was because of what Clemson did to them. I'll say that maybe a, the MVP of the game are defensive ends, particularly Austin Bryant and Kevin Dodd. Um, after, If you would have told me in the first quarter Shaq is going to be out the rest of the game, I would have said, I don't think we can win this. Uh, and, but it, Austin Bryant is the future at defensive end. Kevin Dodd was, was great. Like Quacking Tiger said, maybe one of the best player development stories that we've had in Clemson in quite some time. Well, well, think about that.
2: Early on, I think after the first you know few series of the game, both Shaq Lawson and Mitch Hyatt are out. So, our, quite possibly, most important players on the defensive and offensive line out of the game at that point, like, it wasn't looking great. Now, fortunately, we do have some built-up depth on defense, and, and Hyatt was able to come back in, um, but that just goes to show you, I mean, little small injuries, something like that, losing one guy could, you know, turn the, turn the tide of a game.
0: Yeah, and it, it also speaks to the importance of recruiting and development and strength and conditioning, so... Um, good to see Clemson kind of recover from, from those ad- bit, bouts of adversity early on. Um, I think the, another telling thing in the game for me was once, once more our coaching staff uh, saw what the opponent was giving them and found a way to exploit that with our players and our playmakers, especially in the running game. I mean, I think that's, that was completely key. I actually expected the, the flow of the game to go completely differently against Alabama, and I actually think our offensive weapons from the passing game are going to be keys to that game. We'll touch on that in our preview show, but um, anyway, I just think like our our adaptability and flexibility as a coaching staff there um, was definitely critical in this one.
2: Well, and kudos to our offensive line. Who would have thought coming into this year, replacing those five starters, losing Isaiah Battle, um, and having to throw Mitch Hyatt in there, and Ryan Norton goes down early. Jay Guillermo with the uh, off the field issues that he had coming back and playing strong this year. Tyrone Crowder going down and then Maverick Morris stepping in stepping in at a certain point this season to help out until he was able to come back. Um, you know, Hearn from Origin, all these guys, these young guys coming in there and and just stepping up and, and playing the role and being as solid as they were, and again, we're winning these games in the trenches. And that's huge. And that goes a long way uh, to winning these football games. I mean, that's how we need to win. We can't just win it with five-star wide receivers. We have to do it in the trenches.
1: Yeah, I think against Alabama, uh, we're not going to necessarily win in the trenches. But if we can, if we can battle them in the trenches, it goes down to our skilled players. No one in the world believes in us against Alabama, which I think is, is very. Uh, I can't believe how much. I, I can I definitely understand that we're the underdog. Can't believe by how much we're an underdog. Seven so, points. Yeah. Seven points, but it seems like there's no, there's no you know, snowball's chance in hell that we'll win if you listen to some of the commentators. The, was the Same thing media. with Oklahoma. They didn't think we could beat Oklahoma. A lot of people thought we would lose
2: to North Carolina.
1: Well, you heard a lot of I, I, I like Oklahoma in this game uh, I think it's gonna be a close game but I like Oklahoma in this game I heard that so much meaning I don't know who to choose um, so I'm gonna go with the bigger brand Oklahoma because I don't I don't put a lot of focus they into these ACC teams right right I think in the case of Alabama it's like I, I you know Alabama's gonna win this game I don't necessarily see it being close I think it's to a, a different level uh, Vegas reflects that in seven points versus four so anyway we'll, we'll be previewing that later um, but just keep an eye on that I, you look down ESPN, uh, you see a lot of alabama centric articles and in in columns and videos where they're talking about what does alabama need to do to win this game not like what is clemson going to do to maybe win this game but what does alabama have to do are you surprised by that though at all it's all about making money but yeah i am a little bit surprised i I am
2: doesn't surprise me in the least i fully expect espn (laughs) and the whole you know the media contingent to be fully behind alabama i mean that's that's their money maker that that's that's the storyline. Alabama, the team that's won how many ever the national Yankees. championships? Yeah, exactly.
1: They're the Yankees, and uh, Nick Saban is Joe Torre. I think I think yeah, they're they're trying to create a narrative. <laughs> yeah, they're they're trying to create a narrative, and I think what what brings what gives the most compelling storyline of this matchup is the Yankees winning. You know, like they're they're fourth in a row, they're third in a row, like they did in the nineties. So I I could definitely see that it's all about money and you know some guys and up in a. Uh, in their suits, up in a you know a high rise, or are, are talking about this at ESPN, and that's what they're going with. But it, it's still surprising because I just think there's so much good storyline, good meat, meaty stuff with Clemson. In you
0: know the what? preview show, we talked about how the Skip Bayliss's, the Colin Cowherds, and the you know the guys that really don't study college football, they were picking OU, Vegas. They go the way that they think the public's gonna gonna pick, um, but in the, the college football and the brand, the bigger course, brand, which is predicated on the brand. Um, but college football, you know, savants or people who are studying this sport were on Clemson's side. I'm gonna I'm gonna be watching them. I'm gonna be watching, you know, people that objectively look at these games, um, and know this sport inside and out, and know what Clemson's capable of, and have been covering this team. Where are they gonna pick?
1: Well, I would say they were more like fifty fifty. The 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 sure. guys that were yeah, like you said, the ones that research it every day, not the guys that have just uh, you know flip through the Sports Center uh, scores like Colin Cowherd. Uh, like we're, Kirk Hurst Street. I mean, look at the whole ESPN uh, cast. I think everyone but uh, maybe Desmond Howard had. That's right. From and, some and it's fine with the guys losing.
2: that know if they're 50-50. Because, listen, Oklahoma did have a really good offense, and they were really hot, and they did have the best defense in the Big 12. So we can't sweep that under the rug and say that's not a thing. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, listen, listen, we've been the underdog all year long. We're not used to having a target on our back, and we kind of have it now, uh, for, even when we should have it, We don't... Still nobody's giving us respect. But this team has showed that they played well as the underdog and very well as the number one team in the country.
0: And yeah, we are the number one team in the country, so how could we possibly be the underdog? But um, the spread, that that right there indicates. So um, I personally think the spread should be much closer to a field goal on a neutral site with the way we've been playing. Um, We'll see where it goes throughout the rest of the week. But um, any parting thoughts, guys? I mean, as Clemson fans... For me, this is, you know, this is uncharted territory, and I was watching the game with one of my friends who I've been, you know, friends with since I started at Clemson during the Tommy West era, and we were just we took a moment to just you know, reflect on the past. I don't want to mention how many years it's been, but a long time of not getting to this level and always having a ton of what ifs, and it's it's awesome, it's incredible. So thank you to the team and the staff for getting us this far, and let's go get one more.
2: Yeah, listen, I've waited for this as long as I can remember. Um, you know my earliest memories of Clemson football and I think my first game in the early 90s um, I remembered Sean Cameron uh at quarterback and for some odd reason I can only remember other than that like the kickers uh, Nelson Welch and Chris Gardocky um but I remember them maybe because I, I was a soccer player back then but I I remember fondly following Clemson in the early 90s not really sh- wasn't really sure then what it meant to me and that it would grow into something like this but it's a really special feeling to go through all this it's a uh, it makes it even more special to actually be a part of the Clemson family, uh, be a graduate from Clemson University and have followed this team for so long. Um, the national perception is, I think overall, is, is really good at Clemson University. Uh, they don't, maybe as a football team, don't give us the respect that we deserve all the time. Uh, but that's fine. It's, it's gradually going to get there. Because listen, we were crap uh, from, you know, after you know Danny Ford uh, going through Tommy West and Ken Hatfield And Tommy Bowden, like, Tommy Bowden started to turn it around but couldn't really get over the hump. Dabo has done that. Dabo, the guy that was like an insurance salesman or whatever he was doing, coming out of nowhere after two years off of college football, um, you know, swoops in and saves this Clemson program and turns it into what all Clemson fans expected that it should be. Um, Whether that was rightfully or so or not, I don't know. That's another question because we are a small school from a small town in upstate South Carolina, but the fan base deserves it because they've been solid this whole time.
1: Yeah, I think with with Dabo, what the program is now, and I've followed championship programs before. Like I'm a big Duke fan, and that's probably not the best, most popular thing to say. But I, I followed Duke basketball for quite some time. Obviously, I was a big Braves fan. I still am. So it, it's something about a, cha- a a championship pedigree, and that you see over a large sample size. This is like what you expect from a from a team to come into a game and to be able to really zone in on, on mismatches and, and have the, the, the type of outcomes that you want to have over and over. And what you saw during the Bowden days was a team where you didn't know what to expect. And that was because not, not everyone was on the same page, not everyone was motivated. Um, you had like games like the Alabama game in 08, I think the Virginia Tech game in maybe like 07 where you just didn't know what to expect. Sometimes we would completely shit the bed out of nowhere and you just don't see that. You see a, a focus, a concentration, the coaching is on a different level. Um, so that, that's what I think that's just a championship pedigree. And it's something if, if you've, you've experienced it you know, under Coach K, yeah, you see it with, with Duke all the time. Uh, the same with, with Saban in Alabama. And it's just good to be there. It's a different mindset. Dabo knows how to build a program, and he has proved that. He knows how
2: to get the right assistants in there. He knows how to recruit the quality players. Um, and, hey, guys, he might just know how to coach a little bit of football.
0: Well yeah, once again, um, stay tuned, later on in the week we will be previewing the National Championship game and all things Alabama. Um, hit us up on Twitter or in the Shaken Southland comments if you um, have any specific questions that you'd like us to address. Um, now I want to shift, you, you know, we've talked guys about recruiting and we've definitely had a, a great, I would say, last month um, of the recruiting season here, um, but that's something that you know we're here because, because of what's come before in, in classes of recent past we had an incredible amount of contributors this year that were true freshmen um none bigger probably than Christian Wilkins and Mitch Hyatt um but certainly you know Deion Kane did his part this season so we thank him for that um but I think things are looking really bright for 2016 and just yesterday um during the Under Armour All-American game um five-star linebacker Rashawn or he's going by Shaq Shaq Smith um committed to Clemson he had decommitted actually earlier in the year um But we regained his commitment. He seems to be fully locked in. He actually, um, he's going to be enrolling early and he signed up for his financial aid. So I feel like that's pretty much, you know, a done deal there. Um, So great news is kind of, we're not done yet. And that's teeing up, you know, a tremendous class for next season. Anyone else, Cody, that you're tracking might be, you know, either already a five star or tracking in that direction.
1: Well, th- there's been some, uh, I guess, talk of Sean Gary, defensive tackle. He is the number one player in the class. We saw it in the Under, under uh, Armour All-American game. He was the best player on the, on the field. Uh, he's, he, we have secured an official visit from him. I think we'll know more after that visit. It's hard to say, to put it, um, kind of a odds on it right now. I would say he's a heavy Michigan lean, and until we get him again on campus, uh, I, I don't see the, the likelihood there. Uh, I will say, you know, Trey Lamar, our other linebacker commit, showed out at the Under Armour game. Um, maybe making a, a, a claim to be a five star uh, at least by rivals, getting Rashawn Shaq Smith commitment is just absolutely huge. Two two linebackers that, that QT said have uh, not a lot of overlapping uh, type like skill set. Um, just very unique um, and and good and things that we need uh, some things that we've we've really lacked this year in terms of athleticism uh, at the linebacker position in depth. So th- those those are two huge commits um, and then. Still on the board is, is DeAndre Overton and John Simpson. It looks like Overton, wide receiver, big target that we need. He's, he's all but you know going to Clemson. He might The silent commit might already be in. Uh, and then John Simpson, offensive lineman, guy that's been on our board for a long time. Really need that commitment. Uh, it looks like he's a little bit fading. Uh, not so much of a Clemson lean anymore, but... To follow up on a really good offensive line class in 2015, it would really secure that, give us four really solid guys yeah, uh, in this class.
2: Yeah, I think it would be great to get another one. I think uh, Sean Pollard's our only four-star right now to go along with the three stars, and uh, Chandler Reeves and uh, Tremaine Ankrum. It would be great to get Simpson to shore that up. Cody, let me ask you this. Um, you know, This was always going to be kind of a limited recruiting class this year. Um, we have some guys kind of fall off. I think, you know, Lake has gone, but he's a senior suspended from the team. McCullough, we don't, he's not going to be back. Does that open up another scholarship for next year, or do you see us um, maybe throwing a
1: scholarship to, to some guy that's already on the team? Well, seniors that are going to – even juniors that are going to move away, I mean, it doesn't really affect the numbers. If... But, but Lakob, yeah, he was a senior, but McCullough would have been back next year. Right, right. I mean, so you just kind of like offset the years. So it's not, not a whole, it doesn't really open up a spot, but you, you know some of these early departures, it does open up a little bit. Um, I think the, the class could grow to almost 20 now, depending on, you know, we, we could definitely do some oversigns if, if Rashawn Gary wants to come to Clemson. I think the big thing is, is getting uh, – we, we don't have a, a defensive back in this class or a cornerback. We really could use one. We, we see, we, we've we seen kind of the depth being diminished there. Uh, we need an elite guy there. Trayvon Mullen is kind of the one guy left on our board that we secured an official visit from. That would be huge to land him alongside Mark Fields. Looks like Tankersley obviously Mac probably will go to the NFL. Tankersley could go to the NFL. So, leaves us a little bit thin at that position. That would be my one area of concern. I don't really see Tankersley going to the NFL this year. I think he could certainly benefit from
0: another year. I think Mac absolutely.
1: Whether they should and whether they will two completely different stories. Yeah, I think Tank should stay, but you never know.
0: Well, certainly we'll keep our eyes on recruiting as we lead into National Signing Day. That's probably going to be the focus of the podcast immediately following the National Championship. Um, Since we haven't touched on it in a while, guys, before we wrap up today, let's transition over and touch on the Clemson Hoops team. Um, We picked up a win yesterday against Florida State, our second game in league play. Unfortunately, we dropped our first one to North Carolina. No one's super shocked there, and we actually covered the spread. So I view that, both of those, as kind of a a good sign from probably what, what amounts to a slow start. Ben, I know you've been following this the closest of all of us here. Do you want to take us through what the the start to the basketball season has been like?
2: Well, surprisingly, the first two uh, ACC games have been kind of encouraging the way that we fought and we stayed in against North Carolina and then went out and beat an FSU team, I think, that already has 10 wins this year. Um, it, It gives us a little bit of hope. I mean, listen, Brad Brownell's record is not great um, as a you know, Clemson Tiger coach but he has done pretty well in the ACC for the most part. Kimi is kind of at the middle of the pack. Um, I think the most disheartening thing right now is that we were pretty much out of the NCAA tournament before we even got into conference play. Um, I think at this point it's very unrealistic to go get 11 or 12 wins uh, in the ACC and make an NCAA tournament. I, I Clearly I only hope right now is to make the NIT, and that's still questionable. I think we need to go 9-9 and in the ACC to make the NIT, and is that possible? We have a pretty touch, tough stretch coming up. You know, the Florida State win is huge because we started with North Carolina, then had them, and now we're at Syracuse and then five ranked teams. I mean, on, clearly, if you've watched Clemson basketball all year, those are six games we can lose, and then you're starting, what, 1-7 and seven in the ACC? Um. So not looking great. So even the NC, uh, or sorry, the NIT is a long shot right now. Um. You know, I think it was.
0: Did you see anything though in these past two games that leads you to believe that we can compete with like a Pitt or uh, you know, even Syracuse, who's I think still without Coach Jim Beheim.
2: I I think the fact that we kept the North Carolina game so close in Chapel Hill and the fact that we beat Florida State is that Brad Bellnell has not lost this team yet, and I think that's really encouraging because I think once he loses the team and you know. all of us on the outside are going to question his style of coaching or the recruits that he brings in. But as long as he has the team um, and, and they're willing to fight and play for him, that's really the best you can tell of, of how, how good a job he's doing. I mean, the recruiting is one thing. Um, we can talk about that, about how he doesn't necessarily go out and recruit just shooters. He wants guys that can defend and stuff like that. Well, I'm not sure Roper or DeVoe are really doing much of that. And Roper even is a very on-and-off shooter. DeVoe really hasn't developed into anything. Um, I think the biggest disappointment for me so far is we had that stretch against three SEC teams in Bama, South Carolina, and Georgia, where we went 0-3. We needed to win at least one of those, if not two. And I think this team, I honestly think they're talented enough to do that, but part of it is I don't think we've seen a lot of progression from a lot of players. Noko hasn't really seemed to have gotten any better to me. Uh, City Jate has been kind of a surprise because... He has gotten a lot better. His shooting percentage is actually pretty phenomenal this year, and his effort is really good. Uh, Dante Grantham ugh, had high hopes for this guy. I hate to make this comparison, but again, talking about this lack of development, ugh, I worry that he could be our next Milton Jennings. I know he didn't come in as a McDonald's All American five star, but and 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 I think he is better than Milton Jennings. I think he's played better than Milton Jennings. But you know, he's settling on that outside shot. He's not getting inside, it, and he, again, it goes to the development of of. The offensive uh, uh, talents of these guys were just not seeing it. And on top of that, a lot of guys are leaving the program. Listen, I'm, I'm a big fan of Brunel. I really am. I, I was really hoping for him to do well here. But listen, he went to the NCAA tournament his first year, but that was with Oliver Brunel's guys. Then he went 16 and 15, 13 and 18, 23 and 13, but that was with KJ McDaniels. That was that one star player. Then back to 16 and 15 last year. And now so far this year, we're what? 8 and 6. So. It's not looking bright for him. I think as long as he doesn't lose the team this year, um, and we don't have a total collapse that he definitely gets next year. But I think if if either of those things happen, that the guys just seem not willing to play for him because listen, they got to be back next year and willing to play for him too, right? Um, or if there's not some total collapse, um, you know he's definitely back. But if if either of those two things happen, I think you got to seriously consider just eating the rest of his contract and getting rid of him.
0: It's a pretty substantial buyout. I mean, certainly if you look at the totality of the athletic program. Revenue is going to be coming in heavy after that Orange Bowl and National Championship berth. Um, So maybe we are willing to make a move like that at the Dan Rad level. Um, I was going to ask, though, I mean, in terms of both development and losing the games that we had to have, um, to what degree do you think there might be a lack of a clear leader on this team? I think Blossom
2: gains a leader. Um, I think we lost a big leader last year in uh, Rod Hall. Uh, Avery Holmes coming in and playing, I think his offense is better, but he's he's still not that leader point guard on the court. You know him and Roper kind of uh, trading off minutes, splitting minutes there as the point guard position. I think Grantham. I think it was smart of Brownell to get him in there last year and play him as much as he did as a freshman to let him develop into a leader over his four year tenure at Clemson. And and again, Blossom games played great this year, but outside of Blossom and Grantham and Holmes, who have pretty good shooting percentages. Nobody else can shoot the ball on this team. And and what we were hoping to rely on with an inside uh, presence in Noko, he he still hasn't really done a lot for me this year. And the fact that City Jute has just uh, come in there and take so much playing time uh, from him and even start as much as he has, now I do agree City has played a lot better this year. But still, again, that's no development out of Noko over the past few years.
0: Makes sense. Um, Any... Any immediate games you're going to be looking at in the next couple weeks that are must-watch? Uh,
2: yeah, this this stretch. We have a three-game stretch. Um, uh, or, sorry, uh, a six-game stretch. Uh, the first game being against Syracuse, and then we have five games against raked opponent- opponents. Do I think we can win any of those? I think we... Play tough. We can win at Syracuse. We got Louisville at home. We got Duke at home. You never know. We could pull an upset. At least three of these games in a row 18 Louisville, 15 Duke, and 13 Miami are all at home. And then we're at number five uh, Virginia. But listen, that's a really tough stretch. And even when you get out of that, you got Pitt and then at FSU. So it's going to be a tough uh, go in the ACC this year. I have a hard time believing that we're actually going to finish at 500.
0: And just for our listeners who should be shopping for these tickets on SeatGeek using promo code podcast, um, which of these games would you make sure you you made it up to the well to attend?
2: Oh well, any ranked opponent for sure. I mean, listen, I mean, br- uh, m- maybe the coaching staff or the program is going to say lack of fan support is part of the reason that this team isn't as good as they could be. Well, don't give them that excuse. Listen, there's no reason not to go see and cheer against Rick Pitino in Louisville because everybody loves to hate him. There's no reason not to go see number 15 Duke and and cheer against Coach K and uh, Grayson Allen or whatever his name is. He's like the modern-day J.J. Redick uh, of Duke. And then any ranked opponent, number 13 Miami. Horrible comparison. (laughs) (laughs) Hateable,
1: punchable, maybe. (laughs) In, in a punchable just, type of way, but yeah. Reddick can never jump like that.
2: Yeah, whatever. Uh, I hate any Dick player. Um, <laughs> um, but number 13, Miami. Go see any raked opponent. Uh, go cheer against Coach K. Um, you know, listen, it, it's still Clemson. It's like just like we stuck by the football team throughout all their bad years in Hatfield and Tommy West. You know, we've seen what they've been able to become, and you can build big programs, successful programs at small schools schools. Look what Lon Kruger has done at Oklahoma. They have a top 10 football team and a top 10 basketball team. So don't say it can't happen at Clemson. Don't give up on them. The fan support still needs to be there. You know, all of our sports, all of our student athletes, they're all Tigers. Let's go support them.
0: Get 20 bucks back with promo code podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: Ulterior motives.
0: No, all good. Um, Guys, thanks for tuning in. We will keep an eye on recruiting hoops. Um, We'll touch on the bowl games after the bowl season's finished for us, Um, but certainly the ACC did not have a good showing. Um, Let's make sure we redeem it all with this national championship win. Um, Stay tuned once more for Alabama preview stuff coming up during the week. We're trying to chase down a couple interviews for you guys. We'll see how successful we are there in this compressed time frame. Uh, But thanks again for tuning in. Appreciate all the listens. Appreciate you guys telling your friends to subscribe and check us out. Um, and we will also, most of us, be in attendance at the Natty setting up a tailgate. Um, We'll give you more details about that later on in the week. Thanks again once more, and go Tigers!